0: Welcome to our study on the attributes of God. Have you considered out of all the attributes mentioned in the Bible concerning the nature of God, which one seems to be emphasized more than any other? And hint, you will find that answer from Leviticus 11 and then the quote in 1 Peter chapter 1. One day, there was a man who was talking to God. He wanted to know what eternity is like according to God's perspective. Therefore, the man began to question God about eternity. The man asked God, how long is a million years? God answered, a million years is a second. The man said, wow. As the man thought more on the topic, he said, and Lord— How much is a million dollars? God responded, a million dollars is a penny. The man started to process this, that a million dollars is a penny and a million years is a second. And then he came back to God and he said, God, may I have a penny? God said, wait a second. (laughs) Who is God? Uh, Can God be described by one definition? Uh, Certainly not. The best way to know who God is consists of studying his attributes or his perfections, if you will, his character. And when you look at this category, this topic of the attributes or perfections of God, uh, they can be divided into two parts. The first part, the incommunicable perfections, these belong solely to God. Let me give you some examples. Independence. Independence, which includes self-existence or aseity, it's the concept God's perfect self-sufficiency as the eternal source of his being. For instance, in Exodus chapter 3, God is having a discussion with Moses, and Moses is about to go to the Pharaoh, and he wants to know how to describe who God is to the Pharaoh. And remember what God said in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, I am who God. I am. It's the idea of being eternal. I am independent. I have always existed. Same concept by the man of God, Moses, who gives us the oldest psalm, Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were brought forth forever, you have formed the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So we have his independence, and then we also have his immutability or his unchangeability. James chapter 1 and verse 17, where it says, God with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. See, he doesn't change. 1 Timothy 1.17, a doxology, now unto the king eternal, immortal. So he's immutable. He also, as we consider this uh, classification of the attributes, his immensity, God is not limited by time or space. In Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 23, God asks, am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Uh, You can't escape the presence of God. His presence fills the universe. And then finally, his simplicity. Our God cannot be divided into parts. Why? He's a spirit. John chapter 4, verse 24 God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So that's the incommunicable attributes that solely belong to God. We will study the communicable perfections or attributes. These belong to God, but in some way or degree, he shares them with us. Uh, We'll have 14. Of these, Uh, let me give you a handful of them to give you an idea where we're going. We're going to look at holiness as God is holy. We're going to see He's going to call us to be holy. See how that works? Goodness, grace, mercy, long suffering, truth, faithfulness. We'll look at blessedness, perfection, and even God is a jealous God. So, to begin our study, we will look at holiness. So, would you join me in prayer as we dedicate? to study to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your nature, who you are. And Lord, as we come to grips with the nature of our God, our hearts are encouraged, both by who you are and those attributes you don't share with us, because we thank you that only you are eternal, but then also the characteristics that belong to you that you share with us. So help us to learn well. Help us to take all that we glean from our study and put it into practice to please you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To begin our study with holiness, let me give you point number one. Worship God who is majestically holy. Let me say that again. Worship God who is majestically holy holy god's majestic holiness means that he is uniquely holy absolute holiness that's who our god is uh, to begin uh would you turn with me to the book of exodus please exodus chapter 15 it's our first song in the bible that's recorded god had just freed the nation of israel uh, from captivity they had been in that situation over 400 years God enacted ten plagues against the so-called gods of Egypt, that's Exodus chapter 12 in verse 12, and now they've been free and they burst out into song. Moses is involved, his sister Miriam is involved, and down in verse 11, great question here. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? The uh, answer, of course, no one. Who is like you? glorious in holiness. That's the idea here of our God. He's perfectly holy. Uh, This refers to the realm of the sacred, and it's distinct from the common or profane. So we're called to worship God who is majestically holy. A classic passage that we'll now uh, look at, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse 1. Let me read uh, to you uh, verses 1 through 8. How about that? Then I'll dissect it for you, or unpack it as we would say. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and a train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. The teaching here begins with the words concerning King Uzziah's death. Uh, King Uzziah died, we believe, about 739 BC, and Isaiah records, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. The sovereign Lord sitting upon a throne. In the New Testament, and this is fascinating, in John chapter 12, in verse 41, the one sitting upon the throne is attributed to Jesus, which I find very interesting. And what do we find about the Lord? He is high and he is lifted up. Uh, not 15 minutes away from here is a NASA location, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, acronym NASA. I'm not sure how they came up with the acronym, but it is intriguing that the Hebrew verb NASA means to lift up. (laughs) Because when you watch one of those missiles being launched or a satellite going up, Or a ship or whatever it might be. What happens? You just stand in awe. And that's what is supposed to happen right here. I saw the Lord, and he's high, and he is lifted up. Consider this. Everything is below the Lord described in our text today. We have Uzziah, obviously, because he had died. Then you have the seraphim also below, Isaiah. Uh, humbling himself before the Lord, and even the people. So it's the Lord who alone is high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The temple was filled with the majestic holiness of God. Then we have the seraphim, seraph, uh, the Hebrew verb means to burn, uh, perhaps these are burning ones, as described as this classification of angels. They reflect God's holiness and his purity, and they have six wings. The description given, with two, he covered his face, showing humility. Why? The angel was not worthy to look upon God. Now we have that from Exodus thirty-three twenty. no one can see his face and live. The angels recognize the holiness of God. With two, he covered his feet, perhaps the feet symbolic of service. And then finally, with two, he flew. Instant obedience, waiting upon the request from God to fly, if you will, into action. And then the words holy, holy, holy. Uh, I was always taught this was um referring to the Trinity. But when you study the Hebrew language, when you want to emphasize something, you repeat the word. So, for instance, with the Song of Solomon, which is the greatest song of all, it's called what? The Song of Songs. When you want to go in the Old Testament and observe the place that the high priest went just one day out of the year, what's it called? The Holy of Holies. So, the thrice holy statement shows that God is completely holy. You have a similar structure in the book of Revelation. God is upon the throne. It's just before the tribulation period, and the angelic host and the elders uh, representing the church are at the feet there of the Lord. And what do they do when the cry goes out that he is holy, holy, and holy? They worship God him. And that is what you and I are to do with our majestically holy God. We are to worship him. Why? The whole earth. See, not just the temple is filled with his glory, and the house was filled with smoke. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. God's glory filled the temple. So if the seraphim covered their face before God and his majestic holiness, what else can we do? Pick it up in Isaiah chapter 6, because Isaiah, I believe, thinks he's going to die because he has now seen the glory of the Lord. He says, woe is me, in verse 5, I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have what? Seen the king, the Lord of hosts. But God is merciful, is he not? Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. This is a special calling of the prophet in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? The suggestion of more than one member in the Godhead, if you will. And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. As Paul contemplated the greatness of his God, as he wrote in the book of Romans chapters 1 through 11 he bursts out into a doxology in verses 33 to 36 and then in verse 1 of chapter 12 i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable to god which is your reasonable service do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But there's a presentation. As Isaiah got caught up in the greatness and the glory of God's majestic holiness, you and I also need to present ourselves before a holy God and say, use me. The great revivalist Charles Finney had made the statement, a revival is nothing else than a new beginning of obedience to God. So we need to worship our God who is majestically holy. And let me ask you this, what difference would it make to the church of Jesus Christ if we actually imitated his holiness? Well, let me give you some thoughts here. Number one, children of God would not be having premarital sex. And therefore not having children out of wedlock right because they'd be honoring them majestically holy god with their bodies and that would nix uh, christians having abortions there would be no need why you wouldn't have children born out of wedlock or an in inconvenient time per se uh not only that you wouldn't have the brokenness in the christian marriages husbands and wives would understand who god is and a result of his majestic holiness, uh, they would love each other appropriately. Then you have Hollywood. They'd have to go back and start making movies that don't contain violence and pre- and uh, post-marital sex and homosexual themes. Why? Because the Christians wouldn't be going to take in that garbage. And in the music industry, uh, you think of some of the so-called um, artists these days and their lyrics— Vulgar, immoral. Well, Christians wouldn't be purchasing their music, so they might have to think about their lyrics as well. And then, how about the alcohol and drug industries? Uh, It would put a, a great hurt upon them, too. So, number one, worship God who is majestically holy, and then, number two, imitate. God. You see how this works? We worship God and now we imitate God who is morally holy. Let me define for you moral holiness. God is perfect in holiness and separate from sin. So he abhors sin or sins and demands purity in his moral creatures. Uh, let's go to a New Testament passage here. First Peter chapter 1. Down in verse 13. Let me read this to you. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest in the hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy. For I am holy. So we have to work with our minds. Uh, we have to make sure that we're not taking in the things that we should not be taking in. We have to be sober. We have to trust upon the grace of God. We need not to go back to our former lusts. Later in this same book, in chapter four, in the first few verses, it's the will of God now that we walk with him and don't go back to that partying and carousing and things that we did prior to coming to Christ. So very important. But you'll notice here where Peter takes us. He takes us to the word of God. He takes us back to the quote from Leviticus chapter 11 in verse 44. There in a dietary code, the statement was given that is repeated here that we need to be holy and why. Because God is holy. Think about a surgeon. He selects a scalpel in the operating room, but what would he reject? He would reject the scalpel with even a minute spot of defilement. See, the reality is, regardless if it's just mildly contaminated or the whole scalpel was blemished, you come up with the same effect. It would not be the appropriate thing to do for surgery. See, God wants to use uncontaminated instruments. He wants us to be holy. He chooses to use those that are holy and calls us to imitate God's moral holiness because he is holy. You and I are now to be holy, And by the way, we are to pursue this. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, pursue peace with all men or all people without which no one will see the Lord. But you know what he also includes there? It's not only pursue peace, but then also holiness or sanctification is actually how that term could be translated. As a hunter tracks down his game as an attorney prosecutes a case so you and i are to pursue holiness it is something that we are to be tracking down and pursuing for length of days and that's what the writer of hebrews says and when you do that you really stay connected to the lord why matthew 5:8 blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Let's uh, take this a step further about what God wants you to do in order to live a holy life. To the book of Romans now. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 in the section of sanctification. And uh, Paul begins the chapter uh, with giving a picture of water baptism and it being associated with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that's verses 1 through 4, because we're positionally co-crucified with Christ. Doesn't Paul say that in Galatians 2.20, when Christ died positionally, because we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, we died. But when he was raised from the dead, we were also positionally raised with him. That's why in Colossians 3.1, if you be then raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, because you have been Positionally, So now as you're coming down with me to verse 19, Paul writes, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. He had just used an analogy of slavery, basically saying, I'm sorry I had to use such a illustration, but it really fit the point, so I needed to do it. But then he writes, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness. Remember, previous to being saved? What did you do? You didn't even know it. Your mind, your eyes, your mouth, your body, uh, they were dedicated to those things that displeased the Lord. You were slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness. And notice what he writes here, leading to more lawlessness, it was going from bad to worse. So now, and by the way, the, the thought here, so now, is talking about the immediate presence. Paul's saying right now, guys, This is what you need to do. Present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You got to do what it says in Romans 12. You need to present your bodies. You need to take your minds and dedicate the mind to the things of God. You need to take your lips and you need to use your speech as an ability to glorify God and that no corrupt communication should proceed out of your mouth. In essence, you need to take all of you, and dedicate yourself to God and to be a holy person. Why? Because God is holy. In verse 20 here, Romans 6, now in verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Yeah, because when you're unsaved and you were enslaved to sin didn't know any better you were being marched around by satan he was pulling the strings as if you were marionettes and you didn't know any better so you had no interest in the things of holiness uh listen uh to what we have in in john chapter 8 and verse 34 most assuredly i say to you whoever commits sin is a slave of sin That's what Jesus says. Whoever commits sin, and it's a present participle there, whoever habitually commits sin is a slave of sin. So Paul says, hey guys, remember when you were in that unsaved condition, all your practices, all your activity, you could care less about the things of holiness, but now it is different. And then a great question is asked, verse 21, what fruit... Did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? What was the outcome of those things? Nothing good, nothing lasting, nothing that would be beneficial for the kingdom of God. Paul concludes verse 21, for the end of those things is death. Conversely, verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, You have your fruit to what? Holiness and the end everlasting life. It's quite a statement that the Apostle gives for us here. He's showing that when we walk with God, the majestically holy God, the morally holy God, and we imitate him, then we also bear fruit, but bear fruit that is pleasing to god we become more and more like jesus christ and that's the end game everyone think about paul's words with me for just a moment romans chapter eight and we know that all things work together for good to those who love god to those who are to called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You are marked out ahead of time. This goes back to eternity past, by the way. Ephesians one four says, According as he, God has chosen us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and without blame before him in love. We are called to be like Jesus Christ. Christ. So who is Jesus Christ? He is majestically holy. He is morally holy. So now it is incumbent upon us to imitate him and to become conformed more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. So we see this from Romans 6, we see this from Romans 8, and throughout the entire body of the New Testament, there's a movement for us to be holy and not to imitate this world's system. So what have we learned today? Number one, worship God who is majestically holy. When you have an account in the Bible where someone is in the presence of the Lord and they see his glory, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel and Ezekiel chapter 1, like the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, having a vision of the resurrected and glorified Christ, where do we find those individuals going down? <laughs> they bow very lowly because they understand that they are in the presence of a holy God, and they worship him. This is what we are called to do So we need to get into the Word of God and the Word of God in us. Why? So we can really understand this need to worship God who is majestically holy. Put that as a process that you are implementing into your life on a daily basis because he is worthy. So worship God who is majestically holy. And number two, imitate God who is morally holy. We are called to abide in Christ. Paul uses the term often, walk. John uses the uh, verb, meno, to abide or remain or continue in. Uh, Either way, we are to draw close to God. We are to be individuals who are imitating the very nature of our God, the attribute of God being holy. And by the way, as I read through the scripture yearly, the one attribute, the one perfection that seems to be emphasized more than any other, all of them are equally important, is that of holiness. So, I would present to you, to really understand who he is, we need to imitate God who is morally holy. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the commencement of our study. We thank you as we consider you today our hearts are humbled because you are majestically holy our hearts are humbled because you are morally holy and you call us to not only worship but then to imitate you may we take this lesson very serious may we sit down and reflect upon these things and then make changes in order to become more like your son jesus christ That we might worship and imitate the one who is majestically and morally holy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching today's sermon. Uh, There is a book that is the basis for the 14 lessons, Attributes of God on Fire. Uh, There are actually 10 other fire books. Or you can learn more about us at Comer Manor Bible Church.com. And then I have a foundation. KenJBirdSeniorFoundation.com. And finally, we have a Father and Son podcast. We would love to have you join us. God bless you.